Psalm 145, we're talking about the attributes of God in light of uh, our vision, seeing God for who he is. And we come to, we've talked about the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the wisdom of God. And tonight I want us to talk about the goodness of God. And you know, it's not uncommon for those who face pain and hardship in this life to doubt the goodness of God. And, and maybe on level ground, you say, Pastor, that's not, I never do that. But when the ground is uneven and the bottom's falling out, you, you're tempted to some degree to say, I really wonder if, if he's good all the time. Or maybe I did, here's how we do it. Maybe I did something to make you mad at me and, and now this is happening. That's why this is happening. God is inerrantly good. He is good. The clear message of scripture is that God is uniquely good and he is the measure for everything we call good. He is the measuring stick. I mean, he, he's, the, he's the tape measure. There, there is no other measure. Um, he is the measure for everything that we call good. Consider together with his wisdom and his power, we can be assured that not only God desires um, to reveal his goodness, but he's able to accomplish a good plan. We've learned that. Through his wisdom, through his omnipotence, God not only, it'd be one thing to be good, but you really couldn't carry out the goodness. God knows how to carry it out. God can carry out the plan of his goodness, and we'll see ways in which, uh, in which he did that. But I'm glad that God is good, and he's able to accomplish his good plan in the best possible way, and I'm thankful for it. Psalm 145, verse number 9. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and in all his works. And you know, if you'll think about it, honestly, from the beginning of creation, God is good. I mean, if you'll just, just think with me for a minute about creation, and God creating everything. And all through Genesis 1, you see it was good. The Lord saw it was good. I mean, you see that over and over. And to think that God already knew what was going to happen. But yet he did it anyway. He continued to be good even though he knew that was coming an outcome that wasn't, that wasn't good. In Nahum chapter number 1 and verse number 7, the Bible says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and knoweth them that trust him. I'm glad that God holds all things together. Now, God's goodness is his benevolence to creation, or defined otherwise, it is his kindness exhibited toward all that he has made. 
And I'm glad God is good both to the lost and the saved. And I want us to see tonight ways that he is good to both categories of people. And really there's only two categories of people in this world, saved and lost. Not Democrat, Republican, Libertarian. Saved, lost. <laughs> I won't try to categorize those people by those definitions. We'll move on, amen. Two groups of people. So how is God good to the unsaved? Turn over to Romans chapter 2 just for a moment. And I want you to see this. If you don't have it marked, it would be a good verse to mark in your Bible. Romans chapter number 2. I mean, Paul had just leveled a, really, a revealing lecture in chapter 1. An indictment, if you will, on the whole human race in Romans chapter 1. And then he comes to chapter 2, verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And to those pious religious types who proclaim their innocence, he reminds us in Romans 1 and even following that, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're just as bad as the heathen and we have no excuse. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. Just, just in case you think you're not a part of the category of chapter 1, which we'll read in just a little while. He said, I want you to know and understand that where all of us are without excuse, we're guilty before God. We're all in the same boat. But I want us to look at some ways that God was good to us and is good to the unsaved. First of all, by creating them knowing that they would rebel. Creating them knowing, and I just talked to you about it. Chapter 1, verse 31. He saw it was very good. I mean, again, everything was good. God did it knowing that man would rebel. He knew the, the, the peace and joy of paradise would be broken by Adam's foolish sin. Uh, he knew that uh, Adam and Eve would sin against God and he knew all the pain that would result from their sin. He knew the outcome. He foresaw this long stream of suffering uh, that would flow out of Eden and pollute the world to this very day. Do you know that we're all polluted based on the decisions and, and by the way, we make our own decisions to sin, but we're polluted by Adam and Eve's sin uh, that they committed in the garden. The whole world is polluted by sin. And yet knowing, seeing all of that, knowing it all, he created man anyway. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you create a race knowing that they were going to turn their back on you shortly? But he did it. He did it. He knew the outcome, yet he created us anyway knowing we were going to plunge into disaster he created us knowing what we would do and uh, there are great mysteries here uh, but we we can say for sure that God's goodness was exemplified in creating a race that would ultimately rebel against him but he created him anyway then not only did he create him he sustained them in their in spite of their continued rebellion Acts 34, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 34, verse number 6. Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and 
true. And I'm thankful for the long-suffering of God. I'm, I'm thankful that he is kind uh, to those. And even in Luke chapter 6 gives indication he's kind to those that are ungrateful, that are unthankful. And so nobody could blame God for aborting his human experiment. <laughs> Nobody could blame God and say, God, you're wrong. If you annihilate the old earth now and uh, if you just end it all now, nobody could blame you. Uh, but God did not. He continued to show goodness to generation after generation after generation. When men continued to turn away from him, uh, he continued to be good and he is uh, kind to those that are wicked. He is kind to those that are unthankful and ungrateful. Uh, he, he's kind, and most of us have trouble showing kindness and goodness to the good. We have trouble in that area. Like we have trouble showing kindness to good people. But God showed kindness and goodness to people who are not so good, to those who hate him. Next, there's a common grace that God pours out on all humankind. People that are unsaved can live. They can have children. They can get married. They can advance in their career. God, it rains on the, un, the just and the unjust, Matthew 5, 45. The earth flies through space. The seasons change. They enjoy the flowers. They enjoy the rain. They enjoy the changing of the seasons. Uh, they enjoy the fruit of the field and their labor. Uh, God gives a general benefit to the whole human race, and the worst sinner may get the best. You know the worst sinner can get a good suntan? Because he's sharing the same one you and I are. And uh, he, he can run. He can walk. He can move. Although he doesn't know it, he doesn't appreciate it. He's a recipient of the common grace of God. And before you and I were ever saved, God was good to you and me. God was good in waking us up again. God was good and I didn't get saved the first time I heard the gospel. And God gave me three more chances and I got saved the next one. I'm glad God gave me another chance. I'm glad he didn't have to let me wake up that day, but he did. I could have died in my sleep and God would have been just and God would have been God. But God, even in my unsaved state, rebellious state, God gives grace to those who are not saved. There's a common grace. And then God puts a desire. There's a God-shaped, Pascal said, there's a God-shaped desire vacuum-shaped desire in every heart for God. There's a vacuum in everybody for a higher being. I mean, e even Paul, when he was preaching there in Athens, they had gods everywhere, and he used that, to, that unknown God. He, he, put that, he did that because there's a, there's a vacuum-shaped um, hole in everybody's heart who wants somebody higher than they are. Everybody, and God put that in that Romans 1.18. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And uh, it describes the lost there, having a knowledge of God formed from the creation. And this is, 
This is formed in the heart of every, every person. Every person has this. And as I said, Paul preached there. And anthropologists down through the ages tells us uh, that man by nature is incurably religious. They're searching for something. They're looking for something outside of themselves in ultimate meaning to life, purpose to life that they don't find in themselves, outside of themselves. You don't have to go anywhere uh, and you'll see that. I mean, there are religious type questions that are the top of the Google search right now because of the state of our, our country. What causes people who don't even believe there is a God to be concerned about what happens after, uh, after death? It's because God put that in them to lead them to repentance. Not everybody's going to repent, but certainly he died so that everybody could repent. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. And you know, atheism is the most unnatural philosophy in the world. Most unnatural because God puts in man that God-shaped vacuum. But to, to, to be, to say you're an atheist, and, and really, um, I've never met one that was convincing to me at all. Even, I'd have never met one that was convinced himself, really. And you got down to it. Another one. God hears the prayers of the saved for the lost. God hears the prayers of the saved for the lost. Well, I'm so thankful for the times, and I don't know how many times, but I know she did. I'm thankful for my, my grandmother, Margie White. I'm thankful for her praying for me. Be safe. I'm sure she prayed for my dad. Aren't you thankful when you, and really God doesn't hear, the only prayer from a sinner God hears is, Lord, save me. The prayer to be saved. Aren't you glad there's people that pray for you when you could not pray for yourself? I mean, you talk about the goodness of God. Allowing somebody else to contact him on your behalf. When you were in a rebellious state, God allowed heaven to be interrupted on behalf of somebody who is against God. Somebody who's rebellion, rebelling against God, God allowed another saint to petition heaven, petition the throne of God on your behalf, and he heard their prayer for you. We serve a good God. Even when you denied him, when you cursed his name, when you didn't want to hear his name, when somebody knocked at your door and you turned them away, there was a God in heaven who was consistently, lovingly uh, pursuing you and wanting to see you get saved and get born again. And there was a God in heaven who was hearing prayers on your behalf and seeking to answer those prayers and save your unworthy soul when you weren't praying, when you didn't want to pray, when you didn't even want somebody praying for you. They were still doing it and God was still involved in your salvation. I'm thankful that we serve a good God and he's good to me even when I don't know what good is and when I don't understand what good for me is and Romans 8, 28 is not making sense because I have a limited view of good. But God has a clear view of good, a full view of what good is. And I'm thankful for his goodness. And even when you were not saved, people were praying for you. And God was hearing their prayer. Romans chapter number 10, verse 1. Paul 
said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So he was praying for Israel and God was hearing his prayer. Who was praying for you? And I want to ask you, who are you praying for that's lost? Because I think we all believe in it and if we don't, I think it's a biblical truth that really a lost person's prayer, except the prayer to be saved, is not heard. I think we mostly agree on that. If we don't, I'd like to see your scripture. So then if that's the case, who are you praying for that's lost? Not, not for your family. I mean, we pray for our family for safety, for well-being, for physical things. But who is on your prayer list simply because they're lost? Your lost prayer list ought to be just as big as the ankles and toes in coronavirus cases. The list of people that are not saved on your prayer list ought to be, and we ought to have one. For, let's establish the fact that you ought to have one. So then it ought not be everybody's, everybody's sick. We're not worried about anybody being saved because, hey, somebody could be depending on your prayer. The salvation of a soul in your family. Your uncle could be relying on your prayer to, for him to get saved. Now he's got to make a decision to get saved. But you could certainly pray for the conviction of God to fall in his life. And draw him to, to, to the Lord. How many lost people are you praying for? If I just said, let me see your list tonight. Let's, just let me, show, let me see. How many people would you have on? They're lost. Not, not sick, not in the hospital. There's nothing wrong with that. But we're going to live forever somewhere. I mean, one out of one people are going to die. I mean, it's 100%. Unless Jesus comes back, I hate to tell you tonight, but it's 100% chance we're going to die. If he don't come back first, we're going to die. So we know that's going to happen. We take so much energy preparing to die down here when we ought to be preparing to live over there. Who are you praying for that's lost? How many names do you have on your list? How many of us are in the kingdom of God because somebody prayed for us? While you are still lost in your sin, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a neighbor, a friend who had at work who had befriended you, unbeknownst to you. Boy, heaven's going to reveal so many prayers. You think of the co-workers that prayed for you to be saved. You think of the mamas. I mean, buddy, you think about the mamas that's prayed for their children to be saved. Tears that have been shed. And even the kids for their parents. Only heaven will reveal all the prayers that have been prayed for you and for me to be saved. What a shame that we would let down on that. We've had people pray for us for years. Be saved. We need to do likewise. We need to be praying, begging God to save those that we know and love. Another way that God shows goodness to the unsaved, he allows them to share in the blessings to his own children. He allows them to share. Think about Joseph when he was sold into, to the Midianites. 
and he was later sold to Potiphar, chief of Pharaoh's security force. Because God's hand was upon him, he rose in power to administrate all of Potiphar's household. And Genesis 39 tells us that God blessed the entire household because of Joseph. Everything he touched, God blessed and those that were around. And boy, it's, it matters if you and I are right with God because we could be inducing the blessings of God on those around us. Amen. You know, it matters how we live, guys. Amen. It matters. Oh, nobody's going to tell me it doesn't matter how I live. Oh, yes, it does because you, you could be bringing the blessing of God on your family because you're right with God. Why does it matter to be holy, as I mentioned this morning? Because that, I mean, that very thing could be what's hinging on those around you being blessed by God because of you. You know how many, you know how many saved people in a lost work environment are withholding the judgment of God upon them? You know how many, and even 1 Corinthians, I believe it is, tells us about the, the unsaved spouse. The saved spouse is pretty much holding back the judgment of God because of her testimony. And so don't bail out. Don't bail out of the office. I'm the only Christian in the office. Just hold on. I mean, you're the only life they'll have. You're the only salt there, there is there. You hold on because you're, you're holding back the judgment of God and you're introducing the blessing of God by your very being there and being blessed by a good God and being right with God. The blessings of God are flowing in your life because of him. And they just happen to be around it. They're enjoying the benefits of God blessing you. Don't give up. Don't quit. I just want to be around other believers. Hey, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's terrible going to work every day, not, not knowing who you're going to be, you know, the, the environment you're going to be in or being in a wild environment. It's terrible. But you know it only takes one person to change that environment. It only takes one. And, uh, man, I, I, God can use you. I've seen it happen. Brother Jerry's been using God in his workplace. And I never forget the way, and I'm, I am absolutely nothing. I just don't know your testimony about work. But I just remember, I couldn't be in the same place as those guys. But I'd run in there to get my, I'd get my clothes my, from the cent, that uh, you uniform people. Centos, is that how you say that? And I'd go in there and get my uniform. Hey, Reverend. And so when, when they knew I was a preacher, and I didn't tell them, I never said I was saved. I didn't say I was, because I didn't even see them enough. Like I'm walking in the warehouse, and they'd, they'd be blowing the horn, riding them, riding them things around, you know, supposed to be working. Boy, you'd be awful to see what goes on in warehouses around the country. All the races, all them races, and forklift races, and tricks on forklifts. I bet there's some videos out there that'd be pretty funny to watch until the boss found them, right? But they'd stop, and, and it was amazing how the, the environment changed. Now, not everything's, not everywhere's like this. But boy, if you be salt and you're light, and I, I guarantee you, after a while, they, they stopped using them cuss words. Now, that old boy that, that I told you, and uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not judging or not judging. I'm just saying he was one tattoo. He, he was bald-headed, and he had he just tattoo all the way. I'm not talking about it. I'm just telling you that's what, it, that's what he was. And he drove a truck. And, and he'd come in there and 
And he liked me for some reason. I don't know why, because he was kind of intimidating. I mean, just one big tattoo. I just kind of stay away from him. I'm just going to be honest with you, because I thought, you know, I got a job to do. He's got a job to do. He don't look too friendly to me. <laughs> so he's just going to stay away from him. And man, that guy, I got to witness to that guy. He trusted me with his life. And, and, just, and, and I left, and I don't think he ever got saved. But I guarantee you one thing. When he was around me, things was, he didn't act like he did everywhere else. And listen, you can change the culture at your job, guys. You don't, have to, you don't have to be defeated and just say, well, I'll just take whatever's around here. No, no, no. You, you be salt. And you don't have to be obnoxious to be salt. You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't have to be hateful. You don't have to be unkind. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be smart aleck. Just be salt. Walk in. Hold your head high. Keep your testimony. Things going on you don't like, walk out. I'd leave. I'd just leave. Walk out. I just, I got to be there. Well, I don't know if I could be in a place where I had to hear that stuff all the time. I'd sure, they'd hear something else. I promise you that. They'd have sticky notes where they, I mean, everywhere. Just find sticky notes. That's like somebody, <laughs> anyway, I won't say that. Somebody went to, somebody went to Hobby Lobby and they, and they, they put a political message up in the, in the, you know, them blocks, they had some kind of blocks with letters in Hobby Lobby. And so they put, this is what my husband did while I was shopping at Hobby Lobby, and it said so-and-so for president. <clears throat> I'll let you guess what it said there, all right? Stay, stay in the marriage. Stay in the marriage. God ordained marriage. Now, if you're being abused, you get, you get out. Go get, be safe. I'm not saying get divorced. You just go be safe. Be safe till you can figure out what to do. But just because your husband's not saved, don't go running out. Hey, he needs your light. He needs the salt. He needs what you bring. to the, I mean, He needs you. You're the only thing standing between him and hell. Some of you at work, you're the only thing standing between them boys and hell. Them ladies in the office, lady, you're the only one standing between them and hell. You're the only roadblock they've got. You're the only chance of heaven they've got. You're, you're the only hope they have for their eternal salvation. You're the only hope they have. You're it. And if you leave, what's going to happen? Be bold. Make the most of it. God allows unsaved people to share in the blessings to his own children. Also, God uses unsaved people to accomplish his purposes. He does. And uh, certainly, God, God did that uh, with Pharaoh, whose, whose rebuke exposed Abraham's deception with, when he had Sarah. He lied about Sarah and said it wasn't his wife. Or Pharaoh, whose God heart, heart, his, his heart God hardened, and, uh, which led to the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. And God raised up Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to judge Israel for their sins. And on and on and on you can see. And uh, you could put Felix and Agrippa in the testimony there who played major roles in the life of the Apostle Paul. Balaam and his donkey. I mean the donkey. You got to say something about the donkey. God used the donkey. And you know as the preacher said if he can use a donkey... You can use any of us, amen. 
and he certainly did. Another one, God invites the lost to salvation and made provision through Jesus' death. That shows his goodness because God did not leave. Uh, he, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked according to Ezekiel chapter number 18, verse 23. He desires all men to be saved, First Timothy 2 and 5. He does. He's not willing that any should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9. God wants people to be saved in Revelation 22, 17. is the last invitation in the Bible. God wants, he desires people to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God died for the world, the good and the bad. And you get into this argument about, well, he only died for the elect. Well, quit trying to be God. Romans 10, 13 still in there. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world, everybody. The goodness of God is to everybody. God wants everybody to be saved. Now, not everybody's going to be saved, but everybody can be saved. The goodness of God, it made a way so that those people that are, that are against him, they can be saved. If you're here tonight without Jesus Christ, you can be saved tonight. Matter of fact, I'm praying for you to be saved tonight. Today's his day of salvation. So God is so good that not only, I mean, he didn't just sit back and zap people who were doing wrong and zap people who were rebellious against him, but he created a way so that they would not have to go to hell. I mean, really, you think God was, was good enough in creating them anyway, knowing what they were going to do. But not only did he create them, knowing that rebellion was in their heart, but he made a way so that they could be saved if they so choose, which illustrates the goodness of an almighty God to all of us. The invitation of salvation is open tonight and I'm glad that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Now why, why not, why's not everybody saved then? They've chosen a path of sin and disobedience. They have not believed in Jesus Christ. Believed on him. They may believe in him and of him. There's a difference. It's a difference believing that chair will hold my weight and sitting down in it. I believe it will, but I can't prove it till I sit down in it. Having faith in the Lord is that way. It's putting your hope of salvation in nothing else but Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on Calvary. So no, they're not all going to get saved, but they can be saved. Nobody can say to God, you cheated me because you loved others and you didn't love me. Nobody can say that. Nobody will ever be able to stand in front of God and say, it wasn't fair to me. You cheated me. No. God sent his son to die for you. For you. For every." Human being, God's demonstrated his goodness toward the lost and sending Jesus as the payment for our sins. Another one, he answers their prayers for mercy. He gives mercy when the lost calls on his name. He not only invites them to be saved, but he hears their prayer when they call on him for salvation. I'm glad, May the 4th, 1986, when I said, Lord, save me. I'm glad he didn't say, who are you? I'm glad he saved me. 
What caused them to do that? The goodness of God. Leadeth thee to repentance. Now, how's he good? How's he good to the saved? We got about eight minutes, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through the, as many of these as I can. How's he good to the saved? He gives us eternal life the moment we believe. He gives us eternal life the moment we trust Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful that to John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. The very moment you get saved, you have eternal life. And you know eternal life is not just heaven? It's not, and it's not just heaven. It's the experience of God's life while we're still here on this earth. God could have made us wait to the moment of death to see whether we were going to be faithful. You ever thought about that? God could have waited to give us heaven to see if we were going to be faithful after he saved us. But he didn't do that. He gave us everlasting life the moment you got saved. You had abundant, everlasting, eternal, that means never-ending life. You're never going to die spiritually ever. The moment you got saved, you just skip. I mean, you, you're, going, you're going to heaven. You're passing gold, you're going to get you 200. I'm just kidding. You're set, you got eternal life the moment you trusted Jesus Christ. And it'd be one thing, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of like y'all are. If, before I get, you know, want to give somebody something, let's, let's prove it a little bit. If I don't know them, and, you know, they got, a, they got a record of being deceitful, which we all do. I kind of got to, you know, let's, let's watch them for a little bit and see what happens. You ever done that? Let's try, let's try them out see how it works. I'm glad God didn't try us out. I'm glad the moment I bowed my head and said, God save me, he saved me. And from that moment on, I have everlasting life. I'm never going to die. I'm not going to hell. The goodness of God gave me eternal life the moment I got saved because of his son, Jesus Christ. Man, we ought to be excited. We ought to be joyful. You have, if you're saved right now, everlasting life. You're never going to die spiritually. You're more alive then than you'll ever be now. And that is because of goodness of God. God is so good to us. He gave us more exceeding abundantly above all we could even ask or think in the matter of salvation. He gives to the saved eternal life the moment we believe. He gives us immediate access through prayer. Hebrews chapter number 4 verse 16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And I'm thankful that we can, we can get through. You know, Ivanka may have access to President Trump, but she ain't got nothing on the believer. If you try to call in and get into his office, you can forget it. No, Ivanka, I guarantee she just walk right in. Melania, of course, she can walk in. She probably runs it anyhow. I'm just kidding. They can walk in. Why? Because they're related. They're related. Doesn't matter if it was Bill Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. Why Chelsea can walk in? Because they're related. She walks in the father. Anybody else try to do that? The Secret Service is going to be having a discussion with you. You and I have instant, the moment you get saved, you have instant access with the father. You have immediate, that's why I get so burdened about people that don't use it. Because you have instant access. With, with the Father. 
Through Jesus Christ, we've been brought into God's family. We can go right into the Oval Office of the universe and speak to God himself face to face. It's a remarkable sign of his goodness. Another way God shows his goodness to save people is he answers our prayers, but not all of them. And that's because he's good. (laughs) He answers our prayers, but not, not all of them. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. Have you ever thanked God for the prayers he didn't answer? You ever done that? It'd help you to do that. We benefit from praising God for unanswered prayer and uh, seeing the things that he, he keeps from us. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asked the Lord to take that thorn in the flesh away three times. He said, I've asked you three times to take this thorn in the flesh away. And the Lord said no three times. Then the Lord spoke immediately and explained his refusal to Paul. What did he say? He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And he concluded that it was better that God didn't answer his prayers because he then experienced God's power in a new and deeper way. And may God help us to understand that when God doesn't answer our prayers, it's it's for our good and his glory. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know why God answers some necessarily and others except it's in the realm of his goodness. He is good. You say, Pastor, well, why does, you know, we we, we pray that, uh, we fervently pray that divorce wouldn't take place in our home. And but it but it it did. And you know, we many times we're not gonna know why some of our prayers are not answered. We're not gonna know why. But I guarantee you what we do know when he says no. Again, it's not God's will that people get a divorce. We understand that. But do they happen? Yeah. What did he say to Paul? My grace. I said, I'm not taking it. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. When's the last time you thanked the Lord for an answer prayer? God does answer our prayer, and I'm thankful he does. But there's some that he doesn't, and I'm thankful. Another one. He gives purpose to the worst tragedies of life. To us. He gives purpose to the worst things. That Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. Now, that's easy to believe when the sun's shining. But in the darkness of human tragedy, it's another thing. And we, we doubt this verse, I guess, because when Paul says, and we know, sometimes most of us feel like we don't feel like we know. <laughs> we don't know. And so we doubt the verse. And, but the key word there is good. And we know that all things work together for good. As I mentioned earlier, for us, good usually means happiness, health, and prosperity. It means good fortune. And those things are good, but God's good far exceeds our limited vision. God's good exceeds it. We, we can't see it. So to, to doubt that verse is to say that you know more than God or you see further than God. God sees further than we see. 
And as we say often, we don't like to hear the verse, but God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our heart thoughts, but I'm glad they're not lower than ours. They're higher. They're higher. His vision far exceeds our vision. His thoughts for you far exceeds your own thoughts for yourself. And God, I'm going to rest in his definition of good. I'm not going to demand that he rest in my definition of good. I'm going to rest in his definition of good. I'm not going to demand that he come to terms with my definition of good because I really I honestly don't know what good is in the long scheme of things, the grand scheme of things. But God knows exactly what good is and he is able to perform it. I'm thankful for his goodness and because of his goodness we can rest on this Romans 8 28 because God is inherently good. That's his character so he certainly knows what good is. When you and I don't really know what good may be, he knows exactly what good is and not only does he know what it is, he's able to perform that which is good for you and for his glory. So rest in his definition when he says, and we know that all things work together for good. Rest in his definition. Don't demand that he come to terms with your definition. Because we try to reason and say, well, I just don't see anything good about that. I don't see how in the world you can say, God, that was good. And in and of themselves, they certainly may not be good. I'm not up here trying to practice reverse psychology on you because there are things in our life, if you isolate that one event, you're not going to ever come to the realization that that is good. But when God gets done mixing it in his grand scheme and in his eternal purpose, because he knows what good is, and there's a whole lot of steps between here and there, and he knows how to get there. He knows just the ingredients to put in there to make it good according to his definition because he's perfect. His ways are perfect. His purpose is perfect. And so his goodness is perfect. And God knows how to perform the goodness in your life and my life. Trust his definition even when you don't understand it. Trust it. And it's in that goodness that we're conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And by the way, anything that makes us like Jesus, is Jesus good? He's good. So just remember when you doubt the definition, God's definition of good, just remember anything that makes us look like Jesus is good. Did everything good happen to Jesus? Some bad things happen? Sure. Sure. So just be careful when you think about good. God has made us to be Conformable to his image, the image of his dear son. And though the, the, the event may not be good, the end result is out of this world.